Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Come on. We love church, don't we? And not just like, oh, that was a great service. No, like the church is... Like, if you look around the room and you see the different faces of people, that's the church. The church is not a building. The church is not, you know, a, 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 a anything other than the people. We are the church, and we are not a social club. Um, we are not here to just create a nice little space where you can go sit in a room with people that look just like you. No. Um, actually, uh, when you get to heaven, you might be a little surprised. You know that. You know why? Because you're going to be standing next to some people who don't have the same skin color as you, who don't have the same background as you, and you might be surprised at who gets in and who doesn't. But if you want to know the best way, it's really in the book. It's in the Bible. Jesus makes it abundantly clear how to make sure that you're ones like you wind up in heaven in the presence of God. And, um, but, man, the reality of heaven is, and you can read the book of Revelation and see the picture that John gives of heaven, that, man, when we get to heaven, we're going to be there gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him forever in all languages and all tongues and all ethnicities. And I just believe the church was meant to give a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. And that's one of the things I love about this church is that it doesn't look like me. So please, don't ever, let, don't ever judge this church and like this is not a white church because I'm a white guy who's the pastor. No. You know, same with any other church. We're just a church of people who love Jesus. We believe the word of God is true. And for us today, like, that's the kind of church that we are. And um, so if you ever look around and the church only looks like you, we got our problem, baby. But I'm just so thankful it doesn't. And I'm so thankful for you. And um, it's just a beautiful expression of the love of God, of the creativity of, of our maker. And uh, I'm just so honored uh, to be uh, surrounded by a group of people who kind of think that way. Anybody else with me? Um, let it never be said of our generation. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said um, back in his day that the 11 o'clock hour on a Sunday morning was the most segregated hour of the week. Let it never be said of us. Let it never be said of us. Like, like I'm just like, this isn't even part of the message, but like as a church, we're just going to declare death to racism. You know, we're, gonna, we're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to promote it. You know, we're, what we're going to do is the, the, the antidote to racism is the love of God, right? Scripture says when the love of God uh, is poured out or shed abroad in a person's heart, right, man, it fills that person up. And then it's the love of God that drives out fear. And so if we're going to be uh, driving out fear, if we're going to be driving racism out, it starts in each of us being filled up with the love of the Father, I better stay on track, somebody. Come on, I've been fasting for 15 days now, and I, I'm ready to go. Anybody else? Are y'all doing okay? You look good. Some of y'all look a little thinner, praise the Lord. You know, and that's a side effect. It's not our goal, but it is a benefit. And uh, hopefully your fast is going uh, well. Next Saturday, this coming Saturday, is the last day. So listen, you made it this far. Don't give up now. You're going to make it. You're going to be okay. We're going to finish strong. You know, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And we're going to be strong finishers. And 
Um, today I want to continue our series called The Comeback. Let me hear you say The Comeback. Um, I pray that this series has been a blessing to you. Uh, I hope it's been encouraging you and really challenging you to rise up in some spiritual levels of your life because we're really good at elevating levels in other areas of our life, aren't we? When we want to get better in our finances, we can, we can get better in our finances. When we want to get better at the job to get the promotion, we're pretty good at, at leveling up in areas of our life. Like when we need to level up our shoe game, you know, we, we, we can level up the shoe game. We got a Nike at Waterford now, you know, like, like you can level up in some areas. But what happens so often is that we neglect the most important area. It's the spiritual area of our life. Everything that we face in life is more spiritual than we realize. And so I hope through this series, the comeback, it started to propel you forward in some areas to grow in your relationship with God and your understanding of who he is and how he wants to interact in your life. If you missed any of the weeks, they're available on our podcast, our YouTube channel. Um, today, I'm going to preach about one of my favorite things in the, word, uh, in the world. I'm going to share a message called, The Word Has It All. So let me ask you this question. What do you need for your comeback? Well, the answer is the Word has it all. And, of course, by the Word, I mean the Bible, the Word of God. Here's what I've learned in life is that when we value the Word of God, when we read it and study it and speak it and hide it in our hearts and make it part of who we are and then begin to live according to it, not only will we continually experience the presence of God, but we'll begin to see it working in our lives. In other words, we'll begin to see what the Bible says is possible happening. Like, but we've got to shift into that gear. Now, um, if you live in the great state of Georgia or the Atlanta area, then the numbers 28 to 3 are not your favorite numbers. In fact, you might even be cringing right now. Um, in uh, 2017 Super Bowl 51 took place. They got some highlights they'll put on the screen. It was the New England Patriots versus the Atlanta Falcons with the Patriots being a heavy, heavy favorite to win it all. But as the game started, it became clear the Falcons came to play. They built up a 21-3 lead, and even by the end of the third quarter, stretched it to 28-3. No one thought this was possible. 28-3 going with one quarter left to go in the game. But the Patriots would score a touchdown and a field goal, and with nine minutes left to go in the game, Tom Brady and the Patriots were still down 16 points. Come on. And I hear some Patriot fans out there already telling me, like, get to the good part, Pastor. All my Atlanta people are like, ugh. Tom would lead the Patriots with not nine minutes to go to score a touchdown, a two-point conversion, and another touchdown and two-point conversion. I mean, I am no Tom Brady fan or no Patriots fan, but it was an amazing comeback. And time ended, tied 28 to 28, and they would go to overtime, and the Patriots made it look easy, game-winning drives, score a touchdown, win the Super Bowl. Now, there was an amazing comeback, still one that people talk about today. And I just have a question, like, what about your life? What area does, do, you, do you seem like there's just no way to come back? It just looks impossible. There's nine minutes on the clock, and it's 16 points. How in the world is this supposed to happen? What area of life? 
do you feel like you need to come back? Too often, I think, we're looking at the scoreboard for the answers. You know, the scoreboard is up there, has the, the time, has the score. And the interesting thing about a scoreboard is it's always changing. It never stays the same. It's always reflecting what's happening on the field, but it's not actually what is happening on the field. And if a player or a coach or even a fan were to only look at the scoreboard, well, they know how much time is left. They know what the score is. But if that's all they're ever looking at, then they'll never really know what's going on in the game and never really know what's needed for a comeback. See, we've got to get, I think, our eyes sometimes off of the scoreboard of our lives because the reality is we all have a scoreboard that we look at for our lives of where we thought we'd be by now, how much money we thought we'd be making, you know, we thought we'd have the two, two and a half kids and the, you know, white picket fence house or what. We all have a scoreboard of what we thought life would be or where we would be in our life with God right now. Or I thought I would be married by now or I thought I would be this or I thought this would be going on. And in fact, I'm facing this obstacle. And in fact, there's this brokenness in my home or there's this disease that I'm struggling with or there's this pain or whatever it is. There's some scoreboard. And if that's all our eyes ever see then we'll never really see what's going on and all the good that is taking place and where God actually wants to lead us and what he has for us. And it's in that place when we're fixated on a scoreboard that's not reality, then it's in that place where we make decisions based on a momentary feeling, that are decisions that are lasting. We've got to begin to evaluate maybe the scoreboard isn't the most important thing. That maybe there's something that could actually help us achieve the comeback. You know, when a coach is trying to lead his team back, he's got to give them the plays. And if the coach of the Patriots had given Tom the plays, but he didn't know how to run them, he didn't study the playbook, and he didn't tell the other players what play we're about to run, guess what? They wouldn't, they wouldn't have scored any points. They wouldn't have known how to win the game but they knew the playbook when the plays were called they knew exactly what to do and how to do it listen god has given us a playbook for this life it's called the bible but we've just got to take the time to read it to study it to know the plays so that when god speaks we know exactly what to do and where to go otherwise then it should not surprise us if we don't see victory in areas of our life. God promised us and said, you will have overwhelming victory. Romans 8, 37, he said, despite everything you go through, overwhelming victory is yours. And you're like, that's nice, Pastor, but I don't experience that. Well, it could be you don't know the play. You know, God gives us his promises, but there, there's always, if you'll do this, then this will take place. There's always the condition attached to the promise, but it's just, it, it's, it doesn't mean if we don't see the word working in our lives, it doesn't mean that God's word is not true. It doesn't mean that the word has lost its power. It doesn't mean that the word has lost its authority. It means that somewhere along the line, I haven't brought my life into alignment with what the word says. All right, come on. The word has it all. I believe this is a season where God is calling us as his sons and daughters to switch from being so fixated on a scoreboard or, or a perceived what we thought we would be and start fixing our attention and our steps according to the playbook. If you've got your Bible with me, anybody brought your Bible with you to church? All right, three people brought their Bibles to church. I see a phone over there. If you've got uh, a phone or a tablet, you can download the free version app right there. And then when I see that little glow on your face, I'm going to pretend it's the Bible, not Facebook. 
Um, I know some of y'all are fasting Facebook, so come on, this is church. But y'all bring your Bibles with you. If you don't have one, you need one, let us know. We'd love to get you one, sew that into your life. Listen, you can, you can learn a lot of things in this life, but not everything will be a benefit. Not everything produces the same. And nothing will produce to the level in your life that the Word of God will produce. So get it, bring it with you. Uh, I believe it will be a, a blessing to your life. Uh, turn with me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. We'll start there. It's in the New Testament, almost to the end. You'll find it there. He says this. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Multiplied grace and peace. I mean, I, I could use that in my life. Anybody else want some multiplied grace and peace? That would be perfect. And I just want to encourage you. This is yours. Multiplied grace and peace is for you. It's God's promise right there. He's, he, God is promising you multiplied grace and peace. And, and, and this is part of the all. The word has it all. Well, here's part of the all. Those multiplied grace and peace. But I want you to notice in there, how does he say we're going to access or receive this multiplied grace and peace? It's right there. It's an open book test. Come on, we're in a high school. There's no cheating, right? But it's an open book test. He says, multiplied grace and peace will come to you through your knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we see right off the bat, the first thing that is needed to receive anything from God is to know him. Is to know who he is, to have relationship with him. See, without knowing Christ, nothing else matters. That's why I always say Christianity is not a set of rules. It's not you know, checking all the boxes. No, Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that, you got nothing. Like it all starts, everything starts in a place of knowing him. And, and it's knowing him in a personal way. Some people know about God, but God wants to have relationship with us. He wants to, it, it's us talking to him and him talking to us. I mean, I could say that I know Tom Brady. I know his stats. I know where he went to college. I know a jersey number. I know how many, you know, teams he's played on, how many Super Bowls he's won, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I could pick him out of a crowd. Like, I know, sure, I know Tom Brady. But that's just information. That's just facts. If Tom Brady were to see me, he'd just keep walking right by. Like, he didn't, like, there's no relationship. I just memorize some things about him. And then we say, well, do you know Jesus? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know all the Sunday school stories. I've, you know, I've read a few things. I've probably even memorized a few things. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his own son. So believe in that everlasting life. <laughs> Too often we just have the facts about him, but do we really know him? Do we really have relationship with him where we enjoy spending time with him? I think about relationships in my life, like my relationship with my wife. Like, when we first met, we didn't know that much about each other. I just thought she was cute, and she thought I was, you know, good-looking. And so that started a relationship. But over time, we began to get to know each other, right? And as we begin to get to know each other in a deeper way, man, it's like we enjoy being together. That's why we got married, because we wanted to spend more time together. Come on, all the married people said, hey. yeah. I mean, hopefully you like being together, right? Well, maybe we need to preach on marriage next. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care what y'all say. 
you know, like there's some, there's a difference between informational knowing and relational knowing. There's just, there's just different levels of knowing. And I believe this is God is God's desire is that we would, yes, of course, there's things we're going to have information about, but he wants to, us to move into a deeper place where we long to be near him, where we want to know who he is and he knows who we are. It's this deep level of relationship. And maybe this is new to you. Maybe you've only ever experienced this idea of God that he's distant and you just, you know, he's not relational and you just better behave or he's going to throw lightning bolts at you. Can I just tell you that's not who God is? God is a loving father who loves you deeply and wants to be in relationship with you. And if you've never known him like that, then I'm just so glad you're here today so that you could experience uh, this kind of God, the God that loves you. Peter says grace and peace will be multiplied in our lives. He says as we grow in our knowledge or knowing who God is, he says his divine power has given us how many things? Okay, okay. It's open book test. It's up there on the screen, and hopefully some of you have it on your hands, so we're going to try this again, okay? He says, by his divine power, he has given us how many things? Yeah, he has given us all things. So is that just things you need for, for home, like he's just giving you enough groceries? No. That, does that mean he's just, like, he's giving you grace and peace, but that's all he's got? No, he's given you all things. Does that include your breath? Does that include your eyesight? Does that include your shoes, your socks? Your belt, does that include your car? Does that include the 350 gas? Okay. I'm just making sure. He's given us all things that pertain to life. So God is going to supply everything that you like. God is in the business of making sure that you don't have to suffer through this life. He doesn't want you to be broke, busted, and disgusted. We just read it. He wants you to experience all things. He wants you to have abundance, right? He says he's given us all things that pertain to this life and godliness. Another translation says he's given us all things for life and how to live life godliness in a way that pleases him. There's the two aspects. There's the natural aspect and the spiritual aspect. And God has given you everything you need to excel in both. Come on, that's a good place to give God some praise. Thank you, God, for blessing us this way. He says, now again, look how he says that we're going to have access. Because if, if somebody, if I were to say, I'm going to give you a million dollars, and you were to say, thank you, that's great, and you were just to walk away, what good would the million dollars do you? If you don't know how to access it and start spending that, let's go. I'm going to you know, make it rain in this house. You know? Like if you don't know how to use the money, what good is it? So how do we, if God has given us everything for life and godliness, how do we access it? He says, you will access it, you will gain this by, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue. So there again, we see to receive something from God. It starts with this relational side of knowing God, these, that we're going to have to know him, really know him. So then if the flip side is, right, if, if we don't really know God, then we shouldn't be surprised if we don't receive anything from him. And if you find yourself in that place of, like, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not receiving anything from God. Like, don't feel condemned today, but this is just a wake-up call, an opportunity. It's, it's God calling out to you saying, hey, I have so much for you, and, and I'm calling you to a place of knowing him more. 
Come on, it's always an opportunity. And don't let the don't let the the devil likes to creep in in that moment and see like, see, God doesn't God doesn't want to give you anything. No, no, no. God wants to give you everything. We just read it, but it's just us coming and drawing near to Him. James four. When we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. It's our step to Him that initiates the process. And that's why I think these days of prayer and fasting are so powerful. Because we're pushing things aside. We're pushing Facebook aside. We're pushing TV aside or, or pushing food aside or whatever it is to say, God, I want to draw near to you. I want to know you deeper. So we're starting to get a picture of all that God has provided for us so we're, and how we access it. Look at the next verse. He says, he, he begins to give us, he says, through your knowledge of him, we're going to have access to these things. He says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Because when I start talking about knowing God, man, it's, it's easy to preach about. I could preach about it all day. But then how do, I, how do I know God more? Because if you're like me, sometimes when I pray, you know, or, or I'm seeking God, then I will have a thought and I'll be like, wait, was that me or was that you, God? Like, anybody else ever try to, like, figure out, like, okay, God, I'm wanting, I'm wanting to draw near to you, but, like, how does that happen? Anybody else? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. So here he begins to unpack this process for us of how do we begin to get to know God deeper. He says, we, we do this. He says, it's been given to us. This ability to know God has been given to us in exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, let me hear you say these. That through these, the, these are the promises of God. His word, through the promises of God, you will be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So in other words, through the promises of God, through the word of God, we become partakers of everything of God's nature. Think about who God is, love, joy, peace, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, like everything of who God is, everything that he has, he says, through the promises of God, we become a partaker. Does everybody know what it means to partake? Like when you partake of a taco, next, next week, baby, it's on. Taco Palooza is happening, you know, like not this week. Lord, help us one more week. But when you partake of a taco, everything that's in the taco now becomes part of me. The good, the bad, everything, everything becomes part of me, right? And here he's saying we become partakers of God's very nature, his attributes, his characteristics. So when I begin to allow the word of God to get in me, now I can begin to forgive because God forgives freely, right? Now, because that's part of his attributes, his characteristics, now I can begin to have mercy. Now I can begin to show grace. Now I can begin to love people, right? Because I am partaking, I'm, I'm receiving the nature, the attributes of God through the word of God. And then I can begin to have peace in the middle of chaos. Then I can begin to walk with my head held high and not feeling inferior all the time. Why? Because I'm partaking of God's nature through the promises in his word. And if that wasn't good enough, Paul writes on here, he says, not only do you, do you begin to acquire new attributes, but then you, uh, he says, you'll also escape the corruption that is in the world through lust or evil desires. And I mean, if you look around our world, our world is messed up. <laughs> There's just bad stuff all over in our world. And here he's saying, man, when you begin to get in the word, when you begin to get it in you, 
he says, then you won't be overwhelmed by all the bad stuff going on in the world. Even when problems come and they start attacking you, you won't be defeated. You won't have to be overwhelmed or ruled by everything. Why? Because he says, you're going to escape all that. And, and I, I love that he points out it's not like some people are like, yeah, I know one day we're going to escape this world and get to heaven and everything will be great. True. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about life on this earth. So he's saying, while you're going through troubles, you're not going to be ruled by the troubles. You'll still be able to have that overwhelming victory as you go through the, the stuff of this life. Amen? Like, he's given us access on how to live this way. It's found as we get the word of God inside of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Let's take a look at another place. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, which there are approximately 7,000 promises in the Bible that God has made. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody, everybody say yes. That was sad. Everybody say yes. That was good. One more time with a little stank on it. Say yeah. There we go. So God is saying yes to everything that he's promised. And so through him, the amen is spoken by who? By us, to the glory of God. So let's say amen. Amen is a Bible way to say, to, it's, it's adding your agreement to what was just said. So that's why at the end of a prayer, we say amen. I agree. I'm adding my agreement to what was just prayed, right? That's that. So what he's saying here is every time we find a promise in Scripture, God has said, I'm going to do it. So many people come to God and they're begging and pleading, God, would you just do this? Would you, would you heal me? Would you like, no, God's promise is, yes, I will heal you. Of course I will heal you. We then have a part to play. He says, then our part is say amen. I agree. I will live in agreement with this, right? That's the agreement right there. The part of us is to say amen, to be in agreement. And, and we can begin to see this working in our lives. We don't have to beg and plead. We can know this is God's will for my life. I've just got to begin to get it in me so that I can live and do what it says. Here's the thing is that when we start talking about that, then we're like, but it didn't happen immediately. <laughs> Not the case. You ever prayed for something and you're like, but it didn't, it didn't work because it didn't happen like that. Um, let me say it this way. Everything God gives us, he gives us in seed form. Everything he gives is in seed form. E even, even simple things like a chair. Did you know that God didn't invent a chair? No, God put a seed in the ground when he created the earth. And that seed grew into a tree. And then there was a guy that was tired of walking and standing everywhere, and God put a, a seed of an idea. You should probably sit down. What do I sit down on? What if I had something to sit down? And God put the seed of how to build a tool to cut this tree down and fashion it. See, everything God gives, he gives in seed form. The seed of his word. Jesus talked about it. He said the word of God is like a seed that gets sown into our hearts, sown into our minds. Everything in this life that is coming at us is coming at us in a seed, even whether that's good or bad. Uh, scripture says that God gives seed to the sower. So God gives us seed to sow, resource to give, right? God gives everything in seed. I brought a package of carrot seeds today. Any farmers in the house? No, nobody likes to grow stuff. Okay. You can buy these packages of seeds, you know, at the 
Home Depot or wherever. But interesting thing about the seeds is that this, this carrot seeds is these are not carrots. If I were to come up to you and be like, you want some carrots? Here you go. You look at me like, kind of like you are now, like, you crazy, Pastor. What's wrong with you? No, these aren't, these are just seeds. What, what, what takes, what is required to make these turn into carrots? Dirt, water, time. The right environment. You know, if you take these seeds and plant them in the wrong environment, they still ain't going to grow. You got to get them in the right environment, in the right dirt. You got to buy that expensive $8 bag of dirt, you know, and put it in there. You got to water it and take care of it, keep it in just the right amount of sunlight and keep the, the pests away and all that kind of stuff. You've got to tend the seed. And then one day, at some point, not of your choosing, after you've waited and waited and checked on it a thousand times, then you finally get a little sprig like this growing out of that dirt. And then you water it some more, maybe too much because you're a little excited. And, you know, like it just, it just takes time. This is how God's word works. See, the, the business of the timing is not our business. That's God's business. The, the business for us is to take the seed, to put it into our lives, to water it, to keep all the stuff away, to keep our heart good soil, to keep our mind as good soil, to, to make sure that as it begins to grow, that it stays in the light, it keeps growing, right? Like that's how the word of God works in our lives. It's a seed that has to grow. So I would say it this way, that the word will work in our lives to the degree of attention we give to it. It's just that often we give the majority of our attention to everything else. But, man, if we give our attention, we begin to shift some of that to the Word of God. Man, it will work to the attention that we give it. Because now as I'm giving my focus and my attention to God's Word, then I'm beginning to mix my faith with it. It causes it to grow. And, and this is a good place to stop and say, you know, um, The promises of God, it's not like genie and Aladdin, right? You know, it's not like I'm going to uh, make a wish and just get what I want because that's what I want. This is not like I'm going to name it and claim it. None of that. This is not like God is not like his promises are not like a cosmic slot machine where I put something in, I said a good prayer, and I get something back. Like that's not the process we're talking about. That's a, a deception uh, a twisting of God's truth. No, it doesn't work that way. God empowers us to mix faith with his word to receive everything that he promised in this life. It does remind me, talking about the genie, reminds me of a funny story of this Florida man who finds a genie lamp on the beach. He's just walking down, and the genie comes out, and he's like, I'm tired of granting wishes, so you get one. What do you want to wish for? <laughs> nice genie. And the, the guy's like, well, you know, I've I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I've never really liked the idea of flying on planes. And so can I, I wish for a bridge, and I'll just drive to Hawaii that way from Florida. And the genie's like, what is wrong with you? Do you know how hard that would be? Do you know how deep the ocean is? And trying to figure out how the pillars of the bridge is going to go. And like, no, 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 you got to wish for something easier. That is way too hard. So the guy's standing there. He's like, wow. Okay, well. I mean, my wife always says that I don't really understand the things that she talks about. Can you just help me understand women? And the genie says, do you want one lane or two on that bridge? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the message, but. <laughs> so what I want to do here in the, in the last few moments together is, if we're going to mix faith 
with God's promises, what does that look like? Because there is a process of faith in our lives. There is a process of how faith works and how we activate it in our lives. And so I want to kind of break down this process of faith into four steps. And the thing about faith, this process of faith is, is it doesn't change. Like it doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for five minutes or 50 years. The process of faith is the same. It works the same throughout our lives. And so uh, hopefully you'll write this down, but just begin to let this uh, marinate in you and meditate on this this week and begin to activate this process of faith in your life. Here's the, the first part of faith is to, to, to read the word, to hear the word, right, or to begin to receive the word in your life. I know it sounds simple, but please don't let this slip past you. If you're going to receive all that God has provided in his word, then it starts by knowing what's in there. <laughs> you, you can't receive something you don't know about. I mean, there's uh, something I think like 58 billion unclaimed dollars in the United States, money that belongs to people, but they don't know is theirs. And then we look at the church and we have 7,000 promises. I wonder how many you know. I had to evaluate my own life. How many of those do I know? Like, we've got to begin to get in the word if we want to receive what God has for us. It's beginning to hear it, beginning to read it. And listen, we live in a day and a time where it's easier than ever before to access the word of God no matter where you go. I mean, you can be in a third world undeveloped country and be, somebody could be reading the Bible to you from streaming on your device held in the palm of your hand in whatever language and whatever translation you want. You can be in your car. You can be going to work and listening to it. You could be reading it anywhere. You can buy just about any version of the Bible. We have access to the word. It's not an access problem. It's a priority problem. Like, whatever you hear on the morning news, like, great, don't bury your head in the sand and pretend like nothing's wrong in the world. Like, it's fine to know what's going on, but it's just like that's secondary to when I need to be in the Word. Like, I, I, it's going to work to the degree of attention I give to it. And, and you, you can't know what God has promised you, and you can't know who he is, the nature that you will partake if you never spend time hearing or reading his word. And if this service, this, you know, 90-minute service is the only time you're hearing the word, that's great. It's a good place to start. But listen, I'm only with you 90 minutes a week. Some of you a little bit more. I mean, if you want to spend more time with us, like, get on the team, be closer with, like, like all that stuff's available. But, hey, you're with yourself 100% of the time. You have access all of the time. So I just, like, just find times throughout the day instead of scrolling. How about switching apps and scroll through, you know, the version app? A different scroll might produce some different results in your life. I love what the psalmist wrote, Psalms 119, verse 11 through 16. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Man, that one, that one convicted me because I, I thought about, you know, how often we get excited about a, a bonus or the idea of winning the lottery or whatever. You know, like if someone were to give you that million dollars, man, you would be pumped up, right? Come on, don't be playing like none of y'all would be excited at a million dollars. You'd be like. Holy Spirit would come on you like never before. You know, like it'd get Pentecostal in your house. And here he was saying, I rejoice more in your word than in wealth. Like because wealth is not just about dollars. Wealth is found 
in wisdom from God's word. He says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. You know, the whole book, people talk about, well, what is the Bible about? People think it's about us or about different things, but the book is about Jesus. It's all about him. It is him, in fact. He is the word. And um, when you read it from the cover to cover, it's all about him. In fact, this is what Jesus said about it, John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you study the scriptures diligently. And what he's talking about here, when Jesus was saying this, the scriptures were the Old, Old Testament, right? There wasn't the New Testament written yet. So he's talking about the Old Testament. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them that you have eternal life. So he's saying you have all this information, and you think that by having the information, knowing the facts that you're going to have life, that somehow it's going to do something for you. He said, these very scriptures testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And he says, too many people are picking the facts versus just coming and having relationship with him. Why is it important? When you read the Bible, you'll find Jesus. He's in there. He's in there. You will find him. You want to know what God is speaking to you without, without a shadow of a doubt? Well, there's 66 books in here of God speaking directly to you. So if you want to know what God is speaking to you, it starts right here. You don't even have to question it. It's right there. James says, uh, the book of James, it says when we read the word, it's like a mirror. We see where we are and we see who Jesus is and it begins to reflect in us, to change us, to be more like him. Things like you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So many Christians struggling in this day and time. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Right. That was before Jesus. But in Jesus, all things have been made new. He says you've been made righteous or in right standing with God because of your faith in him. Right. But if you don't get in the word and study that, then how can that replace the inferiority you feel? Right, through Christ, you're able to do all that is needed. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Come on. It's these kinds of things that when we begin to get in the word, we begin to see who we really are. I love Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, the word of God is alive and active or alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. You know, that just means the word of God will be the thing that comes in when you're like, God, was that you or was that me? The word of God, he says right there, will divide between those things. It'll make it clear and obvious which one was God and which one was, uh, uh, was not God. Right? The one that is God will line up. It will be in agreement with what's already in the book. The things that are not of God will contradict, will not be in agreement with what's in the book. Right? It will divide. And the other thing that it says it says it will judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. And I, I believe that's one reason why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible. Or, the, or they like to read the parts that, that are, are positive or make them feel good. Right? But we need the correction part. We need that correction part. The, the scripture says that if God doesn't correct us, then we are illegitimate, not, not sons and daughters. Come on, listen, everybody. I don't want that for you. Come on, I want you to exercise your role in that family as a son, as a daughter of God. To walk in the authority and the place that God has made just for you. It starts with getting in the word, right? So we, now we're reading the word, we're hearing the word. Faith is beginning to build in us and we, we begin to activate the second part of the process where we believe that it's true. First, I've got to hear it. I've got to read it. I've got to get it in me. 
then I can begin to believe it. See, the Bible is the most amazing book that has ever been written. It's the best-selling book in history, the most translated book in history. It's, it's one book made out of 66 books, and I would even describe it as the revealed will of God for us, for our lives, right? Some facts about the Bible for you. It was written over a period of approximately 1,600 years uh, in over a dozen countries on three continents and three main languages by 40 different authors. Isn't that amazing? All of that happens and not one single contradiction, not one single deviation from the themes of the Bible, not one contradiction or unleft prophecy to take place. No, it all works together in perfect harmony, weaving together something that you just couldn't make up on your own. This is God's word. And, and the reason is, while there were many different people that wrote it down, there was really one author. Let me show you 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture, in case you're wondering, that uh, Greek word there, all, when you translate it, it means all. <laughs> it still means the same thing. All Scripture. So the whole thing, all Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We just talked about righteousness. Like, when, you're, when you receive Christ, you are made righteous and right standing with God. But apparently there's some training we need to go through to live that way. There's some correcting that we need to go through because we are children. God is the father. Moms and dads, don't we correct our children? We don't hate them. No, we want the best for them. We want them to excel and go beyond what we ever did. So we correct them. We teach them. And he says the word of God will sometimes rebuke us. Come on. I think as Christians we need some more rebukes in our lives, some more correcting in our lives because we live in a stub-your-toe Christianity world. You say one little thing that I don't like, well, I'm going to go down the street somewhere else. So you offended me because I didn't agree with you. Well, listen, no, that's not the word of God. That is a deception of your feelings. It's what the Bible calls itching ears. It says in the last days, people will reject sound teaching for something that sounds comfortable. Give me something that's, you know, good, but it's not going to stretch me. Give me something that's not going to be out of my comfort zone that's just going to, you know, uh, that I can just get hyped up about. Well, I'm not here to hype you up. Something that has to be hyped, has to be propped up to be better than what it is. I don't have to hype up the word of God. That's not my job to hype you up. My job is to just point you to what is truth in there and say, hey, we're going this way. We need some of that. I mean, Jesus rebuked his best friend. Get behind me, Satan. That's a rebuke, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man. But we need those moments where we're being corrected and trained. But if we're never in the word, or for many people, they're like, well, you know, pastor, like, how do you really know that that was really God's? Well, I don't, I, I, I know. I, I just, I've settled it in my heart. And some of us just need to get to that place where we settle in our heart, we settle in our mind. God's word is true. What it says is for me. It wasn't just for back then. No, this is God's word for my life. We've got to settle that this, this is it. This is God's word for me. See, if we're going to receive God's blessings, his promises here on this earth, then it comes through our faith in what God has spoken. And what God has spoken was written down. We just read it. God, God, it says it was God inspired. Some translations say God breathed. But God would speak through his people, his prophets, and they would write down the words that God would say. And that's what became the Bible. 
Like that's what we have. And so we recognize the Spirit of God moving on them the same way we recognize when God speaks to us. We were in prayer the other night, and there was somebody, we, uh, we were praying, and God, they said, I feel like God has a, gave me a word for you. That's the same process. It's just that God instructed them, write this down. Record this, and they did. So how we view the word of God will determine what we're able to receive from it. So if you view it as, oh, it's a good book, if you view it as the same as the Koran or the same as the teachings of Confucius or whatever else, then it's not going to work in your life. Because the level that we give attention to it, the level that we believe that it's true, like because we're talking about mixing our faith with the word of God, and if I don't believe it's true, then I don't have faith that it's going to do what it says it will do. There's nothing to mix with it if I believe, well, you know, like, uh, whatever, Bible thumper. Like, that's, just, that's, just, that's just the devil working through people to try to get people to stop believing in the truth of God's word. The devil doesn't want you to receive anything from God. And he will stop at nothing to make sure that you don't receive it. How we view the word of God will determine what we're able to receive. So if we're unsure about it. If we mock it, if we make fun of it, if we don't really believe it, if we approach it with doubt and we're never really sure, then we won't receive what it promises. But look on the other side, Romans 10, 17. How do we move from this place of unsure to settling it? Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Through the word about Christ. That's why it matters the kind of church you're in. That's why it matters the kind of podcast you listen to. That kind of, that's why it matters the things you watch on TV. It's not, not to be mean or not to say don't ever watch anything or listen to anything, but it's just realize as you are hearing, something is being built in you. And it's either faith that's coming through the word of God. That's why I always do my best to give you lots of scriptures because I can say some things, but it's my words don't really have power. It's God's word that has power to impact your life. So please don't ever take my word for it, even in this place. That's why I say write it down so that then you can go home and begin to open up what's really in there. God, what do you want to speak to me through this? Like, don't take anyone's word for it, no matter how big or how small their platform is or how convincing their speeches or how charismatic they are. No, you need to get in it for yourself and find out what is God speaking to you. This is how we put value in it. This is how we begin to grow in our faith. If I'm never hearing the message, then my faith won't be able to grow to where I can believe it. So first, I've got to start reading it. I've got to start hearing the word. Then my faith begins to grow, and I begin to believe what it says. Once I begin to believe what it says, then I shift into this third part of the process of faith, which is speaking it or, or praying it out, where it's starting to become out of me in an audible way. It's coming out of my mouth. This whole idea of speaking the word is a principle that God established from the very beginning of what we have recorded in our natural history. That through faith and believing, they're directly tied to language. Let me show you in the Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Another translation says, The universe was framed or built by God's words. It's amazing to think. We know Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God thought. Hmm. Let there be no. What did he say? And God said, "Let there be light." There's 
Faith is released in language, in words. God could have chosen any process to put this release of faith in, but in his sovereignty, God chose language. He chose words to be the release point of faith. So if God's word never comes out of your mouth, then you're really not releasing faith in it. It's got to begin to be released out of your mouth. That's why scripture says the power of life and death is in your tongue. Right? And so when we begin to talk about the promises of God and receiving all that he has for us, we've got to get our faith in agreement with God's so that the spiritual realm and the natural realm will respond accordingly. Make no mistake. When God spoke, it says, uh, let, me, let me show you this other place, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. This is the Passion Translation. Uh, if I don't tell you the translation, I usually preach out of the NIV version, okay, just so you're aware. This is the Passion Translation. He says, for we have the same spirit of faith that is described in the Scriptures. And he's quoting a Scripture from Psalms 116, verse 10. But he says, when I first believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also first believe, then speak in faith. So here's the spirit of faith is I believe, therefore I speak. He's saying that this speaking our faith was not just for Bible times. It was not just for God and heavenly beings. It's not just for pastors or whatever else. No, he's saying this is for us today. This, this is the spirit of faith you and I have. I mean, even the moment of faith to receive salvation, he says, if you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. See, to release your faith in Jesus to receive salvation requires you to speak. It requires somebody to tell you about him. You heard about Jesus. Then you believed him in him, and then you spoke out your faith. Are we seeing this, getting this? This is the process of faith in God's word. This is the same spirit in us, the spirit of faith that's working in us. And sometimes people will say things like, I'm believing God for this, or I'm just, I have faith for this thing. But then I listen to them talk, and they're really not believing God for it. They're hoping, they're wishing, they've got their fingers crossed, and maybe something will happen. No, you can tell by the language what people's faith is in. Because faith is released in our words. And so I, this is a good moment. Sometimes we just need to zip the lip, you know. And I, like when you don't know what to say and you're facing an obstacle and you're, you, you, you're I'm, God, I believe your word, but I don't know about this. this is just, there's just not going to be enough. I just don't see how there'll be. Get back in their words, you know, like just, I'm, God, I don't know what to say right now, so I, I believe your word. If that's all you can say is, God, I believe your word, that's enough. Just start right there. Like, Come on, we got to just get to the place where what, what we're releasing with our mouth is actually what we say we're believing for. The, the, the mouth will speak what your heart is full of. So if your mouth is speaking cursing or crazy things or all this other stuff, then it's probably because you hadn't spent the time reading it and hearing it and then begin believing it. Because once you do those things, you can't help but faith come out of you. You can't help but it come out of you because that's what you've been putting in your heart. So it's going to come out of you. Think about what happened to Mary. We've just been through Christmas. We know the story. The angel came to Mary, and she heard the message of the angel. Mary, highly favored of God, you're going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit and have a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be the Savior of the world. Somewhere in there, she must have started believing because then she released her faith, and she said, let it be done to me according to your word. I believe what you said. Amen. So be it. It's the process of faith. Now, 
in that moment when she released her faith and her agreement, did she look down and have a baby in her arms? <laughs> no. She waited long nine months. Come on, moms, where are you at? All the ladies. You know what I'm talking about. There is a timeline that's not up to us. There's a process of waiting, of allowing faith to grow, of the seeds beginning to happen in that place. And it, it comes as we begin to release our faith. And, uh, and I, I just believe that, uh, man, we got to begin to not just speak it, but begin to pray it, to mix the word in our prayers. Like we can pray some nice, fancy things. I've taught in the past, and we'll teach again in the future, like how to pray powerful prayers. But for me, powerful prayer always comes back. Any form of prayer always comes back to just praying the word. He's, the scripture says, if you ask anything according to my will, not only do I hear it, but you'll have what you ask for. So what is God's will? Well, God's revealed will is right here, 66 books just for you of God's revealed will. 7,000 promises of God's revealed will. If you will begin to pray for him, ask him according to those things, because it's his will for your life, then you will receive them in the time that he determines. So let me, let, let's just get real practical. Is that okay? You all know I'm a practical guy. Let's uh, example prayer, right? Uh, how, are we, how do we pray scripture? I love to personalize it when I pray scripture. I'll pray something over my wife or my, my daughter or whatever it is. Uh, let's take the scripture we prayed today from 2 Peter 1 about that multiplied grace and peace. So if I was going to pray that prayer over my family, Lord, I thank you that today you will multiply grace and peace, not just in me, but in my wife, Heather, and as Bella, she's at school today. God, I thank you for multiplying grace and peace. God, you know we're, we are growing in our knowledge of you in this season. God, we want to be closer to you. So thank you for your promise. Like Simple stuff. I didn't have to make it up. I just personalized it. I put my names in it, my family's names in it, and just thanks God for it. It's an easy prayer. And here's the encouraging thing is that all throughout the New Testament, in the Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, all, like all those books of the New Testament, there are prayers written down in them that the writer would write to the person that they were sending the letter to. Those are just great places to get in there. At the, typically, they're at the beginning of one of the books and just, and just open it up. And, okay, I'm going to pray this one over my family today. I'm going to pray this over my kids today. Right, and just begin to pray the scriptures, personalize it, put your name in it, thank God for it. Students, where are my students at? Come on. Students, when you're getting ready to go into a test, thank you, God, you've given me the mind of Christ. Thank you, God, that I, as I studied, you'll help me to remember everything that's in there and giving me peace while I'm taking this today, that I can have clarity in, in everything that I'm doing. Come on. This is how we release our faith to see the supernatural power of God beginning to work through us. So uh, real quick, I want to give us uh, some promises from Scripture because I know it's easy to talk about in a moment. But I, I, I want to give you some specific scriptures you can pray that I've already found for you, and you can write these down. I've also got some flyers like this. You can grab those on the way out today and take them with you. Scriptures just right there. You can pray um, uh, for your children, grandchildren. Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Psalms 112, 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Let me personalize this one. Lord, I thank you. We are blessed because we choose to fear you, and we find great delight in your commands. Thank you, God, that my children, Bella, she is mighty in this land, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Come, Let's personalize the next one, Joel 2.28. Thank you, Lord, for pouring your spirit out on all people, on my family, 
I pray this one over our church all the time. Thank you, Lord, for pouring your spirit out on all the people of our church, on the babies, uh, on Tom the fifth. Come on. Uh, all the way up to the, the oldest in our church. Come on. I thank you for pouring your spirit out on our people, on our sons and our daughters, that they will begin to prophesy that on, on the old men, that they will dream dreams and the young men, let them see visions, healing and health. Psalms 8, 118, verse 17. I will live and not die and proclaim what the Lord has done. Psalms 91, 16. With a long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. Psalms 107, 20. He sent his word and healed them and rescued them from the grave. Come on, so are we getting this today? Matthew chapter 8. Verses 1 through 3, a leper came to, comes to Jesus and asks him, are you willing to heal me? Jesus answered, I am willing and be healed. This is God's will for your life. Third John 2, dear friend, I pray, see here's a prayer, that you would enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along. If you need freedom from fear, worry, or anxiety, Psalms 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. The world's going to give you something else. So do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Passion Translation, For God will never give you a spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit, who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. You need provision in your life. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. How much does God want you to have? All. The word has it all. You will abound or have abundance in every good work. You need direction? Psalms 119.105. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know what I'm, supposed to, what I'm supposed to do in this decision. What am I supposed to decide? Thank you, God, that your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Right? And then my faith is I'm going to get in there and read it. Right? For peace. You need peace in your life? Isaiah 26.3. For you will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Are we getting this today? So now we're hearing the word. Even as I'm reading those, man, faith is getting built up inside of you. Like that's how the word works. We hear it. We read it. God has promises for it. Now we're starting to trust it. Now there's a little bit more belief in you than when you came today. Right? And now it's going to begin to cause you to grab this sheet and we're going to begin to speak it out. We're going to begin to uh, speak the word out. And then we can begin to activate this last part of the process of faith. Number four, we can begin to live according to it. In the terms of the modern-day shoemaker, Nike, just do it. Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. Yeah, simple. Just do it. Like, so many people are out there debating all this kind of stuff, and they're not doing what the Word says. They just want to talk about it or whatever else. Listen, the Word of God, when you begin to, like, allow it to change you, allow it to alter the course of your decisions and your previous thoughts and the things that you thought were right on your own, isn't that why we needed Jesus? Because we were messed up without him. And we come to Jesus, I'm broken without you. I can't do this without you. But I'm going to still keep thinking the same things were right that I thought when I didn't have you. But just give me that fire insurance. No. He wants to change us. Like our thought process, we don't think it all right all the time. We don't believe everything right. That's why we need the correction. That's why we need the word to come show us the way. That's why we got to begin to do it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. 
do what it says. So let's not overcomplicate it. In order to receive what God promised, right, we need to act on what the word says to do. It's so interesting. It doesn't say that the devil came in and deceived people, does it? No, it says people deceive themselves because all they did was heard it. Great message today, thanks. Left and just went about their life as if everything was just, just how it was before. No, then that person becomes self-deceived. Deception, to be deceived means to believe something that's not true. When we just hear it and never do it, the devil, doesn't, the devil loves those people because he doesn't even have to get involved. <laughs> they just deceive themselves. And then it's no wonder why we have a generation of self-deceived, stub-your-toe Christians because they never do what the Bible says. They just want to hear it. They just want the good message. And, and now we, you, you know, then they enter into a place where there's the, something didn't happen exactly how they wanted or how they thought it would, and then they get offended. Well, no wonder, because they don't do what the Word says. They don't make allowances for other people's faults. They don't honor leaders. They don't, they, they speak whatever they want. They allow, you know, foul communication to come out of their mouth or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so easy in that place because they haven't become a doer. I'm just glad to be surrounded by people who love to be doers of the Word. Come on. We're going to be doers of the Word. If we're going to receive what God has promised, it involves more than just hearing the message, more than just memorizing the scripture. It requires doing what it says. It's the process of faith. We begin to hear it. We begin to read it. And then it begins to grow belief in us. Faith is now beginning to grow. And as faith begins to grow, all of a sudden you can't help it. Faith just just pops out of your mouth that begins to become part of your regular speech. Other people say it drives them crazy. And you be like, well, that's good for you, but I got the mind of Christ. It's not being overly religious. It's just, it's just declaring what God has promised you. And if they want something else, that's for them. But I don't want to be driven crazy. You know, like I, I just, I'm going to believe God's word is true. And then as I begin to believe it, then I begin to live according to it. Come on, let's get in our feet today. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word.